using social media. What works? What's new? Advice? Trends? And insight. From the creative team at Hubbard Interactive, it's The Social Feed. Welcome to The Social Feed Podcast. We are coming at you from the snowy studios in in the Twin Cities in Minneapolis, Minnesota. And thank you for listening. We're here this week with our new social media team member, Adriana. Hello. And Wheeler, as always, producer Wheeler. I am back. Welcome, Adriana. (laughs) Thank you. So Adriana just joined our team. Has it been a couple months now? Um, we're almost done with month two. Oh my gosh. So it's, it's gone by really fast. Um, do you want to tell us a little bit about yourself and where you came before coming to Hubbard? Yeah. So after graduating college, I was a business law major, which is like way out there. (laughs) I decided I didn't want to be an attorney. So I started doing web design. So I freelanced for just about a year. After that, I went to a HubSpot agency located in St. Paul, Minnesota, where I did inbound marketing, a ton of email stuff, tons of design. That was not what I wanted to do, and now I'm here at Hubbard doing social media. Love it. So one of the specialties that you have is email marketing. So today our main focus, we're going to talk about email marketing. But before we get into that, I really want to talk about some stuff going on in the news right now, like we usually do. And there's been... Some interesting things that have happened over the past couple of days. The biggest one um, that happened yesterday was the shooting at YouTube headquarters in California. Um, did you guys hear all about this? Yeah, give us a download. What, what happened? Yeah, exactly? so kind of crazy. Um, so YouTube's obviously owned by Google, so it was part of Google's headquarters. And with YouTube, some woman came in and her boyfriend, I think, worked at YouTube, and she brought a gun in and shot him and a couple other female co-workers. And then, unfortunately, she killed herself before the police arrived. So it sounds like when I was looking it up that everyone's in critical condition right now. And she, you know, obviously passed away, but kind of crazy. So there's been a lot of high security going on at YouTube right now. Yeah, that's insane. Um, I read this morning that apparently her brother had like come out to warn police that he thought she was going to be dangerous and like do stuff. And they didn't do so, anything about it? No. Nope. Like, oh, yeah. gosh. It's so sad. Real tragedy. Yeah. Uh, the other thing that's in the news right now is Zuckerberg. In our last podcast, we talked about, a lot of you probably heard about the um, data breaches that have been going on with Facebook and pr- users' privacy. Zuckerberg is going to testify in court on April 11th about how he is going to make Facebook better to protect users' privacy. So I'm really curious how that's how that's going to go. Um, the court also invited the CEOs of Google and Twitter to come, but they have not confirmed anything. So I'm really, really curious how... I think Zuckerberg is kind of... Facebook's the big one out there. Google is too, obviously. But since he's in the spotlight right now, it's going to be interesting like what the other companies are going to do now to step up and, and protect users' data. What are your guys' thoughts on that? Yeah, I mean, <laughs> Wheeler's as, got some thoughts. as the uh, non-social media expert in the room, um, I understand what's going on with it all, but I definitely think, like we talked about it last time a little bit, we are putting all our information out there. Mm-hmm. And so for a certain, to a certain extent, we kind of sign that away when we, when we start using Facebook. I don't know to what extent we should do that or not, and uh, I really have no idea what he's going to say, what's going to change. Um, I don't really know enough about the social sphere to have an opinion about it um what do you think adriana i mean it's definitely interesting and you do sort of sign your life away when you put all of your information on the internet 
it can I think it sometimes gets a little creepy how much like the internet just knows about me especially Facebook they tag people in your photos and you don't tag them yourself the they just recognition. like they yes. know who the these people are um so that's a little weird but I feel like you know there was a time that like people were going to raise concerns and now it's just getting a little intense where people are like this is kind of scary do you think that it's <laughs> kind of a generational thing like I think about my parents and they're like don't post anything online like your life is private like you don't want stuff out there and I feel like our generation is a lot more like yeah I'm gonna put it out there like yeah, I'll post that picture on Instagram or I'll, and it's just more like uh it's just part of what, it's a way of life kind of yeah it's the world yeah. we live in yeah. so I don't know if the people that are the most concerned about it are an older demographic that are kind of being like starting these little fires like oh my gosh we gotta protect our data or i'm maybe i'm just not as concerned about it i should be i don't know i think a lot of the people that are most vocal about it are like do that through their social media channels as well mm. which is interesting because they're the same people that are putting all their information <laughs> so out there true. So, yeah. uh, <laughs> so i think they kind of need to reassess what's going on and what they're doing as well because i mean basically i mean mark zuckerberg created facebook as a platform for people to share information right and uh, I guess people didn't don't want them to use it in other ways, but I don't know. Welcome, welcome to the internet. You yeah. Know? Like, <laughs> yeah. Should have known that before you post all that too, <laughs> to a certain extent. But do you, either of you guys watch Silicon Valley? I do not. Oh, okay. You said you watched like yeah. one of the other the first. I seasons, used to right? watch it. I haven't in a while. So. so they just HBO just came out with the next season for it, and I'm obsessed. And they, um, on this season, they're actually trying to create, they, there's a company there on Silicon Valley called Huli, like Huli, and it's basically like their mock version of Google. Yep. And then there's another company on there and they're trying to like create the new internet. So like, why do we have this internet? Why do we have Huli? And they just try to like take all our data and they force us to see searches that we don't want to see and, you know, with optimization and like, we're going to create our own internet that's like for the users. And it was a really interesting just kind of topic to think about like who's is there going to be like a new internet eventually and is google going to be that person that we're going to go to or are we going to have to start breaking off because of data things and and stuff like that i don't know <laughs> that, um, did that get too deep this that, early in the morning <laughs> no yeah it was a little little deep a little early um i guess that would be interesting i don't know what that what would that look like exactly do something that was more user based i mean I can't even, like, fathom in my head what that would look like. Because, like, I imagine, like, a user-based internet, uh, like, a search engine is something that, like, optimizes based on you. Mm -hmm. And that's pretty much, like, what Google already is. To a certain extent, a lot of stuff, um, right? And Facebook and all of our digitally targeted ads. I just feel like Google has such a head start on everyone. If someone tried to create another type of internet like, like that, it wouldn't, I don't know what that would look like. Google would buy them. Yeah, they were yeah, before, before they, they, Oh, yeah. Got anywhere, yeah. <laughs> so crazy. Um, but a big part of that episode, too, was they um, bought this company called Sliceline. It's like a fake app that's on the show. And in real life, around to promote the show, they had drones deliver Sliceline pizza to people around um, different areas of the country. So it's just a really cool way to market the, the, the show coming out. Is Sliceline a uh, pizza app? Slice, it's not a real pizza app. It's in the show. Oh, uh, so we can't order pizza right no, now? No, you can't. I know you're so excited about pizza. 
Okay. But they, they did it to kind of tease the show a little bit, and they had drones deliver pizza, which will yeah. probably happen in the future, too. Yeah. yeah. I'd in buy the... that app. <laughs> yeah. Same. In a heartbeat. Done. So I was talking to my – got a little too deep this morning. Now we're going to get even deeper. Um, I was talking to my fiancé last night, and I was like, hey, we're doing a podcast today. Like, what are some things we should talk about? And he was like, you should talk about digital immortality. And I was like, what is that? Have you guys ever heard of this before? I No. I can kind of imagine, but no. <laughs> I mean, I've heard things that like – about it but i don't really know what it is and it just sounds terrifying it's, well it is it is you um, turn into a computer kind of yeah so are... it's it's essentially where they take like if you there's websites out there which i didn't even know existed where you can plug in all your information that you have online and after you pass away if you don't enter it they send you a password every like couple of months and if you don't enter it in they assumed you've passed away and then they automatically starts feeding into your social channels as if you're still alive. Wow. <laughs> Everyone's yeah. faces. I wish you guys could see your two faces. Just like, what? Um, it's so weird. Like, if you had someone that you loved and you wanted to still talk to them after they were gone, you can even chat with them. And they'll have automated responses as if using language that they would use and specific words. Um, it's kind of crazy. I mean, that's terrifying. Would you do it? Would you guys do it? I don't think I would want to put my no. uh, my network through that sort of, uh, yeah. I don't know what the right word is, emotional torture. Yeah. That would be yeah. weird. It would be very weird. I, I get kind of weirded out sometimes when I see uh, people who have passed and their friends or family are still posting stuff on their social. Yeah, that is really weird. I always kind of like, I'm like, but it's usually, they're pretty transparent about it. it's not the person, you know? Yeah. Um. So if it was just, like, AI pretending to be me, that'd be a little weird. Yeah. It'd be strange. I mean, I think this ties back to, like, all of the data <laughs> privacy. Because, I mean, I think it's so weird that you just plug in information and Facebook could sit there and pretend to be you. And they know their personality and the way that you talk, how you communicate with people. It's just, like, how much does the internet know about how I'm communicating with my loved ones or friends or anyone? Yeah. So one of the, the things you can sign up for is called, um, Eternomy and it collects your thoughts, stories and memories and memories and it curates them and it has an avatar that looks like you and the avatar, if people want to like log in, they, it can access like your past memories and stuff like that. That's creepy. That's yeah. That's weird. I don't know if I want people knowing that. So it's what, like, just just let me go. You what, know what I mean? Yeah. What's the real the real benefit of it? It's just so people can continue to so you can interact live forever. Yeah, kind of so you can live forever. This is definitely the plot line of a movie. <laughs> it would be kind of cool. Like, uh, I guess maybe not for the sense of like the people in your network today. Like, say I passed away tomorrow, which hopefully won't happen. Um, but like, say. When I would pass, if, like, generations, like, my kids, kids, kids could go and interact with me online, that would be kind of cool. That's what I kind of think. Like, it's, like, museums in the future. Like, I wonder if it's going to be all of, like, this kind of stuff where it's, like, you can go into, like, past people's, like, thoughts in that time period and experience that. So I can see, like, history and, like, learning from the past. and But then personally, it's, like, that's kind of weird. 
Yeah. yeah. There's something there. There's something there. There's some some application for it where it would be interesting and probably uh, cool, but yeah. definitely weird. All right. So I'm bringing up all the weird topics today, you guys. I'm sorry. Um, <laughs> let's get into the good stuff. So email marketing. <laughs> That's going to be our focus today. From digital immortality to email marketing. <laughs> I didn't even yeah. know what kind of like segue I can do into that, so I'm just going to just, just stop it and just bring up email marketing. It was smooth. Yeah. <laughs> So, um, Adriana, I know one of the things that you um, have focused on in your past positions is email marketing, yep. and we've been utilizing a lot of um, that talent here at Hubbard right now, which we're yeah. super excited about. So, is there any advice you could give the listeners, you know, just some who are doing email marketing or maybe just trying to start to get into it? Like, what's a good consistency to post? What type of email should you be doing? What's the differences between, like, constant contact and MailChimp? That kind of stuff. Yeah, so for me, I think email is extremely important. Um, Social media, you can only do so much when you engage with users. And you don't really know if you're converting leads. And I think email is the perfect way to sort of nurture the leads that you want um, so that they're buying a product, um, booking a service, whatever your goal is. Um, I think for how many times you're sending out an email, it really depends on the size of your company. I always like wake up in the morning and I have like 15 emails from any place that I've ever subscribed to. And sometimes that can be a lot, but if you're having daily deals, then sending out an email every morning with whatever specials or deals are going on, that's something that you can do. I would say a weekly email, like a weekly newsletter of what's all happening is super important. It keeps your users informed. Um, And that's sort of just like a general email. Then you can sort of dive into customizing emails from there. So you can really engage with the user sort of hands off in a way if you just set up emails in a way where you can customize them with separate like tokens, both MailChimp and Constant Contact allow that. So you can put like hi and then instead of just being like hi user, like hi customer, You can like put in their name and it automatically sends it and you can sort of gear what you're writing to where they are in their buyer's journey, whether it's a brand awareness email or if you're really pushing for them to buy a product. Email is just, I think it's super cool, super fun. It also can get a little creepy when you get into emails that are sent to you, hey, you forgot this in your shopping cart. Things like that are a little strange, but they can definitely, with the way that Google works and tying in all of that, you can definitely see what people are doing online and customize an email so that they can make a decision. Would you say that, because um, I, I think, feel like Constant Contact and MailChimp are the big ones out there. Mm-hmm. Which one do you like better? I personally like MailChimp a lot better. It's a lot more user-friendly, so not only for me when I'm setting things up is it easier, but if like you yourself that you don't know very much about email, you can go in and quickly send an email and they definitely walk you through that process a lot more than constant contact does. The interface is a lot more beautiful too in MailChimp. (laughs) It's just a lot easier to use. Yeah. (laughs) And as far as like subject lines for emails, because that's the big thing that gets people Mm -hmm. to open them. Do you have any recommendations on that? I usually aim for something like short and sweet. Like I get to the point, but also ask them a question. So something like, 
hey, have you seen our deals? Or are you looking to like buy this sort of a product? Something like that because you really engage them or you say like deals like in this email or something like that. Like you really want to grab their attention with that subject line, but you don't want it to be too long. Like you want it to just to the point like why are they opening that email? Like it's the most important part. You can add in like descriptors in your preview text which is also important. So if you just do like a one sentence question for your subject, like you can dive into it a little bit more in your preview text, which is about two sentences. That's a quick little overview of what the email actually is. What do you feel about for emojis and subject lines? Because I've seen those used a lot more. And then actually I feel like I open them more when there's an emoji. (laughs) I don't know why. It doesn't look as spammy maybe. Um, I think it depends on the company and who their demographic is like who are they targeting um as like for us like we're all younger so emojis like yes of course like send those but if you get into an older demographic they're really confused they're like why, <laughs> why are you a, sending me this like that does not subject line? <laughs> it doesn't apply to me so it definitely depends on who your demographic is and who the company is if that's the voice that you're using as for metrics on an email marketing campaign when you're just doing email marketing uh what sort of like open rates are you like striving for and expecting what's like your goal usually obviously your goal is 100 but that's just not realistic so what's like a good number to kind of go for i think it definitely depends on what the email is about like what the goal of the email is if it's a newsletter your open rates are typically lower so they would probably sit on average mid 30 to like 50 would be a pretty solid range um but as soon as you start to get into a lot more in-depth emails where you're really like communicating and engaging with a user that open rate is a lot higher because you're it's a lot more personalized to them so it really depends on the type of email that you're sending and who you're sending it to the information that's all there um But you typically want to see a really good open rate to click rate ratio. In an email, it's really important you want to put in a call to action. Like you want to send that user somewhere with new information. So if you're not getting a person to click on the email on like your CTA, then you're not really sending out a good email. So typically, if you get... 35% of people to open your email, you want at least 70% of those people to click on the email and send them to a website or a landing page or whatever it might be. And as far as when they do click on that and they go to like the website or specific landing page, what should be on that page so that they don't bounce off right after getting there? Uh, typically a landing page that just has information and typically a form for them to fill out with an offer or a deal. Um, it's, it also just really depends on the sort of email that you're sending out. If you're a food company and you're putting recipes, you want to send them to a page that has that recipe. You never want to send them to a general page, like an about us page or a home page that's when they're going to just click off because they're not finding the information that was on that email. So you really want to make sure where they're clicking to is just going to have more information from the little summary you provided on the email. 
I think that's a really good point because people are like, I need to do email marketing. And then when the call to action is go to my website, but it's like, well, what do I do when I get here? Um, and another thing too, I think is having the creative of the email match what's on the page that they land on, on the website. Cause sometimes it's so disjointed. It's like, is this even the same thing I just clicked on? So having like a creative consistency too. Yep. Do you notice that in emails that having like images in there or more text heavy, I guess it depends on what content you're trying to promote. Does one do better than the other? Is putting video in email a good thing to do? What works best? I usually stay away from email and video, um, especially with mobile users, because that video turns out really small. I like to do a lot more image-based emails. It's really easy to do that, especially with mobile users. Most people are opening emails on their phone. The ratio from desktop to mobile is pretty ridiculous. I've always seen a lot more mobile users. So using image-based emails, they can see that a lot better. And as soon as you put it super text-heavy, that scrolling action to read paragraphs of text, it just doesn't work. It's not as effective in my mind. So, yeah, I use image-based, keep it short and sweet. You don't want them sitting there reading through stuff. We're at a point where people just skim through information. So... As far as growing an email database, so let's say someone wants to do email marketing, but they only have, you know, 50 or 100 people in there, are there any recommendations you have to help grow that? Or should they even just just really nurture those 50 to 100 people and grow those leads? Definitely grow those leads, but you can offer a lot more through other channels to get people to join an email list, whether that's on your website or doing, like, ads throughout social media to really attempt to grow that. So definitely a growth campaign and that will add in to your email database. But if you have a small number of those people, definitely nurture them and figure out whether or not those are going to be qualified leads for you. Because sometimes you can have tons of people in your email database and they're people that don't care about your product. So you really want to make sure that you're like picking out the people that you want to keep because they match your brand and your company. So another thing that I've noticed is I'll like sign up for something and then I'll start getting a series of emails that have different types of content based on what I signed up for. Is that something you can set up in MailChimp? Yeah. So I think in MailChimp, it's just called like email automation. I've always called them workflows. I used to work at a HubSpot agency. That's what we called them. Um, they're extremely unique. It takes a lot of upfront work to set them up. But basically what happens is you can set up triggers and actions. So say a person signs up to be on your email list on your website, you can automatically send them an email that says like, thank you for subscribing you know, like we look forward to sending you newsletters, like you get put into a list of people that will get a newsletter. If you are shopping for something and you shop, you check out, you get your confirmation email, they can automatically follow up with you. Like, how did you enjoy your products? Things like that. And that's where, you know, those reminder emails to like, hey, you forgot something in your shopping cart or your basket they can sort of continue to send you emails so that you make a decision on purchasing that. So that's really like lead nurturing. 
So what they're trying to do with setting that up is you're pushing your user down the funnel so that they convert. So setting those up is a really good way you can gear content so they can start being at a stage where it's just brand awareness and you can gear that con- like content down so that they're purchasing something. I love that. It sounds like that'd be a lot of work to get it set up, but then mm-hmm. once it's going, it's yep. just nurturing those leads automatically for you. Yes. It's love super, that. takes a lot of work up front, lots of research to figure out who these users are, how to communicate with them best. But once you have that all set up, you let it run automatically and you can see all of those numbers coming in. Love that. The other thing you touched on a little bit before that uh, that question was the website integration. Mm-hmm. I think I, what I really love about Constant Contact and MailChimp is how you can integrate it into the website. Do you want to touch on that and how you, how you do that? Yeah. So... I know that we use Woobox a lot for all of our forms, so that's really a main one that you can integrate. You can set up these forms in Woobox, and you can integrate Woobox with MailChimp and Constant Contact. So once you integrate it, you can create a list of people in MailChimp that are based off of whatever form that is. So if it's like a product offer form and they're filling this out with their information, you can dump that into MailChimp and just have a list of people like for this one product and you can send them emails based on what form they filled out so you can really gear that con- that content that you're putting out there for like what it was that they were originally like interested in. Let's talk about the future of email marketing a little bit. Where do you guys think it's going? What do you think is going to happen with it? Because like, I see posts every once in a while, email marketing's dead. And I see other things saying, it's not dead. It generates you know this much money for my company every year. Where do you guys think it's going to go? I mean, I think for a while it was definitely on the downfall. Mm-hmm. I think it was overused, especially when you – like I – shop at Sephora and Sephora sends me maybe three emails a day so it annoys people (laughs) but I think if you really put time into the content that you're putting out and you're adding value to the person's life and it's not just another spam email I think it's an amazing tool to use so I see it changing in a way where it's not like let me send you three emails a day to remind you about this and all of these things I think it'll like turn more into just a way of communicating hands off with your customers. I think quality over quantity is the best thing you can probably say about email marketing because yeah, I, there's tons of things I sign up for, especially with shopping. Yeah, it's like okay, like <laughs> I'm so annoyed. I'm gonna like get rid of the, get this out of my inbox. You know, market to spam, whatever. Um, oh, that's something we should chat about too because I know sometimes like if you get too many spam messages, if people mark your emails as spam. You can potentially not be banned from MailChimp, but yeah. they'll freeze your account. Yeah, you get essentially blacklisted. Blacklisted, that's the word. So that's a huge thing. I have seen that working in email so with good emails <laughs> where they, they're just like, no, we're going to do this huge email blast. We're going to send it to everyone in our database. And, you know, you can try and talk a person out of it, but they <laughs> always want to do it. And that's the fastest way to get blacklisted. Because people are like, this has no relevance to me at all. And they're like, this is just annoying. So you get marked as spam and then you just can't send emails for a certain amount of time until you can like prove that you're not just spamming people's inboxes. So that's why having lists within like your database of different sorts of people is super important 
so that you're not just sending it to everyone in your database. It's interesting that you talked about how a lot of people with email marketing use it on their phone, which I 100% do. But if you go into Google, like on the desktop, into Gmail, they separate it into like primary, social, and promotions. Mm-hmm. So a question I get a lot from clients is, well, my stuff's always going into like the promotions folder, which no one looks at. And I was like, yeah, but most people are accessing it from their phone. So what are yeah. your thoughts on that? I mean, I always just do email on my phone, so it all dumps it into one. But I know that you can play around with Google settings, so you can completely get rid of those other tabs. So you can really Google their desktop for their Gmail is super customizable, so people can add more tabs, and it just separates where their emails are going. So you also want to make sure, yeah, if you're providing a promotion, you can sort of keep that on the down low and not make it a promotional email and keep it in their main inbox. Love it. Love it. We've gone over a lot today. I love it. Um, <laughs> talked about, you know, subject line, use those emojis if it makes sense. Yep. Uh, you know, constant contact. I definitely love MailChimp more. I think it's kind of like the YouTube versus um, Vimeo. Like YouTube is better for search and analytics and stuff, but Vimeo is way prettier and things look a lot better. Yep. So I kind of compare those two that way. Um, And we talked about website integration, making sure your landing page. So you click on the email, it looks good when you get there. So I'm hoping that this is some good, helpful advice. Thank you, Adriana, for all of this. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for having me. So I hope you guys enjoyed today's segment. We've covered a lot of different information. Um, Please let us know what you think about it, everything we're talking about. We would love to get feedback. You can tweet at us at Hubbard Interact. Or you can, as always, slide to our DMs on Instagram at Harvard Interactive. And we will see you all next week. Thanks for listening. Thank you. Thank you. The Social Feed is a production of Hubbard Interactive with music provided by Minneapolis-based artist John Atwell.